In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we've heard um, an epistle reading that we hear multiple times a year, actually. We hear portions of it, maybe a little bit before the reading that we read today, and a little bit after, both at the Sunday before Nativity, where we commemorate the forefathers of Christ, and but we also hear this reading, not just not so long ago, perhaps it feels like a very long time ago, for me it does, on the first Sunday of Lent, that is, the Sunday of the triumph of orthodoxy. What I want to bring out here is that this reading is given on days where we are accounting Christ's triumph, actually. Though we've heard many, many persecutions, the epistle especially today, begins with the glory of God in victory, but then quickly moves on to also all of the sufferings of those who followed God. And the church places this epistle reading for these three times a year as a reminder, paralleling it with the triumph of orthodoxy as the first Sunday of Lent, and paralleling it also with the Sunday before Nativity, where the Incarnation begins, this epistle is listing all of the Old Testament fathers. It is one of those saints of the Old Testament, and Paul is speaking to us of saying also of the saints of the New Testament, those that he is addressing, those in this room, those who he wrote and heard first this letter that it is not in triumph nor in suffering that we look to to see if we are following God's way. But whether it's in triumph or whether it's in suffering, what matters is that we are running the race that is set before us. We may sometimes be in times where it feels that we are experiencing the triumph. We are ascendant, if you will, and those who are friendly to Christianity remain friendly to Christians. But there are also still Christians who are still just as close to God in those times of persecution and those times of suffering. So the church sets this example before us. Those in the Old Testament did so out of what strikes me as sort of an ignorant hope. They clung to God without knowing Christ just yet. They knew a Messiah was to come, but we Christians know that he has come and that his grace has been poured out for us in the feast of the Holy Spirit that we have just celebrated, and we are in the day after that. So again, we see that this epistle is placed in a day, in a place of triumph, a day where we are living out the gifts of the Spirit. So whether we are in a time of miraculous victory or in a time of suffering and pain, it is the last phrase of this epistle that gives us the greatest comfort where we are told to run the race with perseverance that is set before us, looking toward Jesus, toward the end. And where the epistle ends today, the gospel picks up. Though in what the deacon read today, we might, we will miss it because of our English translations, though it's still very good English. But in Greek, there's this one simple two-letter word, two-letter word also in English. N in Greek, or in 
me. This is what Christ says. Those who confess in me. This is an important thing. The in is missing when it comes to those who are not confessing Christ. For of course, how could they be in Christ if they are also at the same time not standing up for him? And they are in fact denying him. So this is an important thing that St. John Chrysostom brings out for us. And he says, mark the words, speaking to other fellow Greek, word, Greek speakers, says, mark this. And he says this, mark his exact care, his being Christ. He did not say me simply, but in me, showing that not by a power of his own, but by the help of grace from above, the confessor makes his confession. But of him that denies, he said not in me, but simply me. For he, having become destitute of the gift, his denial ensues. So what we learn from the ending of this epistle and the beginning of the gospel reading is that what that triumph is, the time and the ability to confess Christ in times of suffering, only happens by the grace of the Holy Spirit and by being in Christ himself. It is only he that offers something that is everlasting, allows us to see past just the earthly cares of triumph or of suffering. It is only in him and looking toward him as we run whatever race it is that we have been set into, whether it is a difficult and long one or a short one or perhaps one with many obstacles or one with very little obstacles. It is only able, we are only able to complete that race by being in Christ. So often, especially in our times now, where it feels like we're on the cusp, or perhaps we are already in that time where we are about to enter into times of suffering as Christians. It seems that way to me, perhaps to others. I pray to God I am given the strength and the grace of the Holy Spirit to see through, to run the race of whatever that is set before me. Many of us may be terrified of the long, complete march through the institutions, as one profound writer wrote, that this is the aim, to make a long march through the institutions and dismantle them. But this is not new for us, as we hear, because it is all those Old Testament saints who have seen through this. History has no shortage of examples of human efforts that have been supplanted by other human efforts. The epistle even states that both in prosperity and all of those examples and in suffering, we can bear witness to God. So we must look past the present circumstances toward Christ. We see often the greatest suffering for ourselves that we lose our peace in Christ we lose sight of that grace because we see these institutions, these things in society that are somehow extensions of ourselves. And somehow we see our ego involved and brought into them. And when they fail, we see our own ego bubble pop. And that is painful. We see them somehow simply as projections of ourselves out there in the world. But some institutions, by our own sins, should fail. Some, God is saying we are going to change. So whatever has a good foundation in God, this is what will last. And we really only know of one thing that God established 
for which has the promise of God that will last forever. And that's his very body, the church. This is the one good foundation, the pure foundation that Christ has established. At best, our mere human efforts and our human things in society, they may be good. Our governments may be good or they may be bad. Our policies may be good or they may be bad. But what the best that we can hope for from those things, those things that do not have their primary foundation in Christ, is that they can prevent some evil from happening. They can prevent some of our experience of evil from taking over all of society. This is the best that we can hope for. And in the worst, it may aid evil. But what the epistle and the gospel are teaching us today, Christ is teaching us today, that redemption comes through him. And Christ has his own severe way of saying it today, where he calls out our houses, our siblings, our parents, our very homeland, as the things that we need to be ready to leave behind. These are Christ's words that he says, if you are not willing to give these up and follow me, then you won't have that strong foundation. It almost seems that Christ is being anti-family, anti-homeland. But this isn't Christ's primary aim. What he is doing is he is speaking sharply and saying, these are the things that you have become attached to. And if you see these, as over and above anything that I am giving you or calling you toward, then you know that you are not in me. So he's giving this strong, strong contrast through these words. And in fact, in the gospel, in the other readings, we also read a portion of this gospel and other times, usually during the week, we skipped over. This is the same account where Christ says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. This is how strongly Christ is teaching us today, that we are to cling to him, and that in those that clinging to him, the willingness to follow him and run the race that is set before us, it is that time that we are able to take up our cross and follow him. That's really where we know being in Christ. So every person willing to follow Christ, no matter the time or the place, that is where the victory is won in his life that person is able to confess Christ in his grace. Without that, it is impossible. Those people who do not follow in that way are, have chosen their own way. And may God bless them. May they be able to come back to him and begin to run the race again. But the promise of Christ is only given to the witness, to the confessor who is able to be in him and give that confession, that I and I am Christ and he is within me. This is what the confessor really says in all times, in all places. And in that way, being able to say that no matter what is before someone in the world, someone that is before them, whether suffering or in victory, that is how the saints, those who we commemorate today, who are we surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and who we are surrounded by today, are only those that we can name. There are so many more that we cannot name. And every single one of those saints unites them together. Whether we can name them or not, or the innumerable saints in heaven 
worshiping before the glory of God, they have all entered into that eternity, into that state of everlasting life of always clinging to God, no matter the circumstance. They have completed their race. So what are we to do today? How do we have our names enter into the book of the saints? Whether by name, and the church remembers them for the glorious miracles that they did, the great advice that they gave, or perhaps simply for their tenacity as confessors and martyrs for Christ. How do we, even if we won't be remembered in that way, enter somehow into that life? I've been reading this wonderful book called The Struggle for Virtue and a, The Struggle for Virtue in a Modern Life. It's by Archbishop Everki, and that struggle for virtue, he says, really boils down to this word that we often misunderstand, is asceticism. How do we practice asceticism for those of us in the world, especially for those of us in modern life, who have everything either directly at our fingerprints in the form of a touch screen, that someone can bring something to our door, all the modern conveniences, or simply something in town that we drive our car to? How do we practice this asceticism? How is asceticism going to get us to become one of those saints? I think we need to know that asceticism is not simply what we don't eat, what rhythm we do, but it really is that we are pursuing God. And anything that gets in our way when we look at our life and say, this is going to prevent me from going toward God, this is really what asceticism is. What is preventing me from going to God? Whether it's a distraction, whether it's a sin, this is what our church is calling us to by being an ascetic church, one that calls us as the primary way of life to take up some form of asceticism to journey toward God. The wrong way that we can do this so often is that when we see a problem in our life, we approach it from seeing it as a problem of the body or a problem of our thinking, of our psychology. And we instead go after these things as those. We think there must be some hack that I'm doing wrong, and then this will fix everything in my life. But what we really need to remember is that our battle is not against flesh and blood, or we can probably add in any mental states, but our battle is against the principalities, the powers, and dominions of the world. And that is chiefly a spiritual battle. We treat all of our things as social or psychological problems, then we miss the spiritual problem that is within us, the evil habits of the world that have come into our very soul and that we duplicate and then we spread to everybody else. This is what the church means by we battle against the world and we battle against the passions that are within us. So this, we need to understand the right way is to practice an asceticism that digs those up and gives those up so that the peace of Christ can enter into us no matter what is going on. So what is that? To become detached from our worldly, from any worldly outcome or our worldly concerns or cares that have made a home and affect our life and rob us of all of our peace. So how do we do that? We identify 
that worldly care within us. We identify where our passion rules and not myself. It is my passion without a thought that I follow and chase. Sometimes this begins with a mere suggestion, a mere little thought. But then we begin to entertain that thought. We accept it and think about it quite a lot. And then at some point, we make it our own. We give our consent to it and we say, okay, I'm going to plan to do whatever this evil thought is. But maybe we prevent ourselves from actually doing it. Then there is hope. Then we can run to confession and say, I need help. How do I prevent this? How do I prevent myself from doing it? It's already sort of growing within me. And those who are in captivity to a passion, those who it has become an evil habit, one that controls you, then we need an act of the grace of God just as the prayer of a saint, the prayers of a church, over you, a community to rally around you and support. These acts of the grace of God begin to uproot the passion and begin to heal someone's spirit. So what we need to pursue is that life of spiritual, addressing our own spiritual problems and not what's out there. Grow from here, from us, in this church, from my own heart, root out those passions, find those suggestions that I have made my own, and battle against them. That is really where the battle is. Not against a victory in the world, a clinging to power, but in the purifying of the human heart and the chasing out of those passions that have robbed me of Christ, that have robbed me of the peace that he gives. So whether it's greed and money that I am pursuing and just more and more of that, we have a cure for that. We give generously so that we are able to deny ourselves that passion and then it weakens and we become more and more growing in Christ, beginning running that race. Whether it's a worry that we have for not something that we cannot control, that is not a result of our, voice, uh, of our own choices, but it consumes our life. We are constantly turning over something in our minds and in our hearts. But we have a cure for that in the church. It's giving thanks and then praying for discernment when you can make a choice, to make the right choice, and getting advice from somebody who was able to give advice. Or the ubiquitous problem that we all have is online distraction or online addiction. The only way to struggle against that is to have a purposeful time of quiet, to be able to listen. Because the problem is not just that our phones are there, but that it thinks for us. And our mind is no longer involved, our heart is no longer there, but we just are in an endless scroll, <laughs> or we're in an endless click. But we have forgotten, because of this, how to listen to our heart, how to listen and so we need to make time to begin to do that, to have a time of quiet prayer, of listening to God and following where our thoughts may be going and bringing them back again and again to Christ and saying, cleanse me. So we have today a means to become one of the saints, of all the innumerable saints. The core of sainthood comes and is birthed out of your life now. It is birthed out of this time of pursuing Christ within his church and chasing away all the passions, the cares, the wor worries of the world that have distracted us from following him.
and that begin to control us. So this is what we do. It is only by uprooting that the world that is within us and within your home, perhaps, that holiness is able to take root and grow. For this is what we are called to, a holy life. That peace and sanctity settles into your life and the world can witness the change of that sanctity within you. Only then will we join the way of the saints, struggling for virtue, clinging to Christ, whether in times of favor or ease or persecution from the world. The spiritual battle and its life is there in the good times and in the bad. And it is for us to follow. Virtue, that is, to be with and like God is our only goal. All else is like vapor. It is temporary. And it is barely there. And it quickly dissipates. So I pray today, O Son of God, who sent the giver of life to us, the All-Holy Spirit, sanctify us as we seek you as the means and the answer in all circumstances. By the struggle and the help and grace of the Holy Spirit, make us your saints in truth to enter the great cloud of witnesses in your kingdom. Amen.